Hello and welcome to the Apologetics 315 podcast with your hosts, Brian Auten and Chad Gross. Join us for conversations and interviews on the topics of apologetics, evangelism, and the Christian worldview. Generally, you don't see that kind of behavior in a major appliance. Hello, this is Brian Auten, and thanks for joining me for the podcast today. Have you ever been watching television and come across certain religious broadcasting channels and listened? If you have, you probably know that some of the biggest and richest ministries, quote-unquote, are not necessarily preaching the gospel. In fact, you may not find them teaching the Bible, but their own teachings. And if you listen long enough, you might come away thinking that God's main goal is for you to be happy, wealthy, and successful. You might come away thinking that if you just had enough faith, God's going to heal you. How often do you come away thinking, now I understand the gospel more, or what a good, kind, and merciful God who would send his only son to bear my sins on the cross. I don't have to do anything to win his favor. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, and if I put my trust in him, I'm justified by his grace alone. Instead, what is sometimes presented as Christianity is a gospel of health and wealth, believe it and receive it. You know, for so long, I had the idea that if I prayed harder, God would bless me more, or that God loves me, but performance was really what put me in his good books, or that the move of God was in direct proportion to my level of good works and trying harder and doing better. Well, today's guest has a YouTube channel called The Messed Up Church, a YouTube channel that exposes the error of a lot of false teachings you'll see on TV and on the internet. You'll find videos on the Word of Faith movement, the Prosperity Gospel, NAR, that's the New Apostolic Reformation, but a lot of the most damaging teachings that need to be exposed and called out. And often in a style that pokes fun and mocks some of their teachings, and I say deservedly so. Stephen Kozar is my guest today, and he's actually an artist. He's been painting as a full-time professional artist since 1986, primarily using watercolor, but there's no tricks to his paintings. They're all painted using a paintbrush. And if you want to see hyper-realistic watercolor, it's amazing. They're based on actual places he's visited and photographed, and check out his art at stephenkozar.com. But today we'll be talking about his YouTube channel, the messed up church and you know how to find that just go to youtube and search but we'll link to it in the show notes today i'll be chatting with stephen about problematic teachings in the church a bit of history about some of these movements and point people back to jesus and the gospel let's get to the interview let's get ready switch me on steve kozar thanks for coming on the podcast great to be here now, I found some of your content originally when I think someone pointed me to some videos about God's generals, looking at Robert Slearden's mm. book, God's Generals, of which I had read and followed quite a bit. I thought, wow, you've done a lot of research going deeper than the surface. And uh, then, of course, I went down the rabbit hole of all, a lot of your other videos. And I thought, you know what? Steve's the kind of guy I'd like to talk to. So thanks for joining me. Oh, great. When you started the Messed Up Church YouTube channel, what started that? What was its founding? And it makes me wonder, what's your background? Because I haven't watched all your videos and gleaned out the bio bits from here and there. But sure, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. It's actually, it's a pretty interesting story, and I have a background as an artist, and I also have a background really because of 
I guess partially because of being an artist, I tend to think about the broader abstract implications of everything under the surface of what I'm doing. And so even the fact that there isn't a lot of biographical information on my YouTube channel is kind of intentional. The great thing about YouTube is anybody can have a channel. Mm-hmm. The terrible thing about YouTube is that anybody can have a channel. Yeah. So when it comes to Christian teaching, there are people that have good production skills, they have pleasant personalities, they have good speaking skills, but they have bad theology, really bad. Mm-hmm. And they have huge channels. And it's partly because of that personality-driven culture that we live in that I haven't really focused on that. But my background is actually as a painter, an artist, a photorealist painter. And I've been doing that for, gosh, I think almost 35 years now. And I'm really good at it. And it's been a real struggle as a thing that you do to make a living. I'm one of the few people that actually, by the skin of my teeth and the grace of God, been able to make a living as an artist. But about 10 years ago, I just really got interested in, seems like there's some stuff that's wrong with the church. Seems like, you know, all the things that I've been told for decades aren't really true. For instance, there's this tendency for there to be talk of a revival or a new move of God, and people get all excited about something, and they claim that things are about to happen. And then five years later, you're like, what was that? Because it never happened, and now nobody's even talking about it. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing was starting to bug me. And then I saw issues in my own church and my own children who were in their later teens, early 20s, and I saw a lot of them just completely abandoning the Christian faith kids that were, you know, from solid Christian families. And I also uh, went through a period of church hopping, which is something I was very much against for all of my adult life. Mm -hmm. But because of a a handful of different factors, I left a church and then started with a new church and that church quickly changed. And I thought, well, as long as it changed, I think I'm going to change too, because there's some things that I'm not really sure about anymore. And it really just made me go, what do I believe? Yeah. What is what is the difference between all these different theological camps? Because it was never really discussed. I was going to an evangelical free church, and then I was going to kind of a a middle of the road charismatic church. Between the two of those, you were, most of my life was between kind of middle of the road, broader evangelicalism with no defining characteristics. And I just at first I was thinking, oh, it's the end times. All these bad things are happening. People are falling away. You know, the Antichrist is right around the corner. That whole thing is the, I think, the first step of people kind of becoming awakened to some of the bad theology and the bad teaching that they maybe didn't really notice at first. And then after a while, I realized, no, uh, there's more going on than just, you know, oh, you know, it's the end times and the Antichrist is right around the corner. There's there's a lot of things I just didn't know. And I, I have a personality that's really interested in detail. So I started doing more just for myself. I was doing research and reading and listening to podcasts and sermons and lectures and I got really um, obsessive compulsive about it. And because I'm able to paint for, you know, most of my day, I can listen to stuff while I'm painting. Mm-hmm. So I found different podcasters and YouTube channels and things like that that were really helpful. And I decided about 10 or 11, 12 years ago, I think, that I was going to stop listening to the mainstream so-called experts, the people that the, um, the the major Christian book chains and the, you know, the major Christian TV channels would play. I thought, I, I don't know if I can trust them. So I'm going to find people that just seem to be kind of doing their own thing without the, the intention of, you know, becoming stars. Right. And I found a handful of people on YouTube that today, uh, some of whom are actually really good friends and, and they had a real profound impact on me because I found people that were teaching just 
here's why this particular sermon from this really popular preacher is wrong, and here are kind of the theological reasons for that, and here's what the Bible actually does teach as opposed to what you have been told. And I, I really became aware of how much I was just leaning on little catchphrases, you know, right. don't put God in a box. Uh, it's you and you have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm like, well, that's just a catchphrase. That's not even the phrase that's in the Bible. There's all these things that you can kind of say that they're true, but you could also say they're not true. It's just ambiguous, you know? And so as I was learning more, I wanted to do something with all the stuff I was learning. And I, I tend to be kind of pushy about, you know, something I'm really excited about or something I really believe and I want to tell other people, which is a good thing and a bad thing, depending on, you know, a lot of other factors. Right. <laughs> but I was kind of frustrated that I was learning all these things and I didn't feel like I had a way to express myself. And my wife said, why don't you start a blog? So I just did a free blog spot called The Messed Up Church. It was just a, I was thinking, I, I want to have a catchy name that kind of grabs people's, people's attention. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a guy named Chris Roseborough who had a podcast called Fighting for the Faith. And I had been um, trying to get his attention via email. I think I sent him um, an article I wrote for my little blog, and he really liked it. And he shared it on his Facebook page. And all of a sudden, instead of having 30 views in a day, I had 3,000. And at the same time, another person that I'd been listening to, who was a co-host of a radio show here in Wisconsin named Amy Spreeman, she out of the blue said, hey, I saw your article on Chris Roseborough's Facebook page. Me and the other guy who I do a show with, we're going we're gonna to do a whole show tomorrow about your article. Wow. Is that okay with you? And I thought, wow, yeah, I listened to you and now you want to use one of my articles. So I was just trying to express some things that I was, I was starting to understand. I was trying to figure out a way to just kind of get something going and try to grab people's attention. So at first it was a blog and then uh, I spent a little bit more time with Chris Roseborough and and really got to become friends with he and his wife. And they invited me to participate in the new website that he was having built. This was in 2014 or 15. And so he said, how about if you take your little blog and you move it over to what was called Pirate Christian Media? And I thought, wow, that's great. He's sharing his audience with me. He must really trust me. So I thought I better try even harder to do a good job of making sure that what I'm saying is is good and solid and accurate. And so at first I was a writer, I was a blogger mm-hmm. and we were, we were getting like, I think it was like 200, 300,000 page views per month. Mm-hmm. And so that was all I was really doing. And I, I liked the idea of video, but I don't, I didn't know anything about video editing. I really didn't. I don't even like computers. I don't like software. I'm a, I'm an analog guy. I like using a paintbrush, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so a computer is so far removed from that. But because I was doing some research about Todd White, you know, the guy that does the leg lengthening and he's in the American yeah. Gospel movie, it's because of the, the fact that I was one of the first people that started blogging about him and saying, hey, you got you to gotta watch out for this guy. He's growing his audience like crazy. And he seems like a real theological train wreck of a false teacher. And so Brandon Kimber was working on the first American Gospel movie, and he contacted me and said, can you help me do research for this new movie I'm working on? And I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd love to help. That's great. I didn't know him or anything, but it seemed like he was really serious about making a, an actual high quality movie. And it was because of my relationship with Brandon and because Chris Roseborough started making his own YouTube videos and kind of moving over from just podcasting to YouTube videos that I gradually felt like, well, maybe I should try this. And 
I just used iMovie, which is what I use today. And I had a few friends who showed me how to use iMovie a little bit here and there. And I figured out enough to mm-hmm. just kind of develop my own quirky little video style. So now it's been two years. Uh, you've just hit the two year anniversary of the, of the YouTube channel. So no, it's not the, it's not the two year anniversary of the YouTube channel. It's the, it's the two year anniversary of what really made the channel grow, oh. which is the, which is the spe- specific show that I started doing with my wife. Oh, okay. It's called, uh, it's called, yeah. So I started the channel a couple of years earlier and it, it was growing, you know, okay. It wasn't doing poorly by any means, but it was because of hit the bar that we just all of a sudden grew, I think probably twice as fast. Okay. And the funny story about hit the bar is it goes back to my friendship with Brandon Kimber. He was here filming me to interview me for the, um, American gospel movie, which is actually coming out in a couple of months, the third installment which will actually be not a, a single movie, but a series of movies. It's going to be a docu-series where we're going to go into more detail about the hyper-charismatic movement. Anyway, he was here, gosh, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was uh, two and a half years ago, three years ago, whatever it was. He said, I want, to, I want to interview both of you together. And so we did that. And he said, you know, you guys really work well together. Maybe you could do some more videos together. And we could use that for, you know, he had some ideas. And then I thought, yeah, we should try that. I, th- I think that might be good. We didn't know what we were doing. Again, I'm not a video guy. I'm not a, I'm, I don't know. I, I know how to use cameras for photography really well. I know how to make paintings and stuff, but I was super frustrated. In fact, I sometimes really am frustrated by how I don't know how to do a lot of this stuff. And it frustrates me because I wish I knew it. But uh, we actually made what I was thinking of as a reaction video, which is a really popular genre. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know this <laughs> until about six months later, my wife had never watched a reaction video. So she didn't even know what I was doing. So <laughs> I was doing a reaction video with my wife and she didn't know what a reaction video was. But I, I said, let's try to do that video. And I don't, I don't know how to use all the cameras and stuff. I, we tried a couple of different things and they didn't work. So we never used them. I said, why don't I just take my, my iPhone, we'll put it on a tripod. We'll sit in front of the computer and we'll talk about a Benny Hinn video. Yeah. And we'll just push the, the space bar to stop the video. And at the last second, I said, we can call it hit the bar because we're hitting the space bar uh-huh. to stop the video. And then we can talk about the guy and, you know, what he said that was bad or what, whatever. And then the funny thing is our little dog would want to come down into the basement and watch the video and, and would scratch at the door. We knew that she wasn't going to leave us alone. So we let her come down and sit in my wife's lap. It wasn't something we planned, but. We, I just thought of this as we were filming this corny, cheap, low budget video. I said, what do you think, heresy hound at the end of the video? What do you think of Benny Hinn? And I knew that we could get our dog to howl because that was a little <laughs> trick, trick we did with our dog. It was just <laughs> something that, you know, if we made a howling sound, she would start howling. And so that became one of the funny things about our video. And um, it's really fun to talk about because my videos prior to that, I was never on camera. I didn't even want to talk. I was actually mm-hmm. typing in what I said. And a lot of people didn't like that because they couldn't listen to the video. They had to watch it. And a lot of people said, can you please narrate these videos? Because we're yeah. trying to do housework or we're in the car. So I was making videos where I was never on camera because like I started by saying, I don't like personality driven YouTube channels for Christian content because I think people tend to say, oh, I like that person. Therefore, I will just blindly listen to whatever they say and you know, trust whatever they say, which I don't want anybody to do to anybody, myself included. But as it turns out, 
we're trying to figure out how to take some of that funness, that that quirky personality stuff, and at the same time, hopefully really teach people not just good theology per se, although obviously we want to do that, but we'd really like them to learn how to be better researchers themselves, how to how to kind of take, uh, I, and I use this phrase, there's little catchphrases that I keep repeating in our shows. And one of them is take responsibility for your spiritual life. It's a nicer way of saying, don't just listen to some stupid YouTuber and think that they can be totally trusted on everything. Yeah. Not that I, I think I am untrustworthy. I just, I don't want anybody to, you know, like I said, become dependent upon one, especially, I mean, it, it's good that you should really believe in what your pastor says. I want people to go to a church where they really believe in what the pastor is teaching. But before they do that, I want them to really study enough to say, well, I'm going to this church, not because the pastor's good, but because I, I like the theology that the pastor has decided ahead of time that he was going to be using as his frame of reference. Right. And evangelicalism is always backwards. We go to a church that's close enough, that has a good kids program, and the pastor is, you know, whatever, he's funny enough or nice enough or warm enough. And at the very end of the list of things that we want, we say, yeah, I guess his theology is good too, <laughs> which is right. so, it's so backwards. Yeah. You know, I used to sort of rate sermons based upon just how excited it made you. You know, growing up in a charismatic church, the type I went to, it was like, well, how just how much excitement can the, the preacher stir up? And that was a really good sermon. Right. And and it was often motivational, often lots of catchphrases, taking a Old Testament obscure passages and making them have new spiritual meaning for you today and being successful and yeah, I look back and I think, what, what, what was going on there? Um, yeah. And so that's what resonates when I watch some of your videos is it's like going back and watching some of the things that I used to just swallow without question and thinking, wow, what spell was I under? And mm. uh, I don't use that uh, like accidentally because I, I, mm -hmm. I reminded that scripture in Galatians where Paul says, who has bewitched you, almost mm -hmm. put a spell on you that you're following this other gospel. So I want to ask you, when you are making a video uh, on your channel, what's what's your goal? You, you want to make people better Bereans, mm -hmm. um, but did you get burned by the church, uh, certain church experiences? I would say that I realized after decades of being an adult Christian, husband, father, committed member of a church, after decades of being all those things, I became aware of how I wasn't really digging very far beneath the surface of things to really become a, a, a Berean, like you said, somebody mm -hmm. who's, who's actually checking the scriptures and saying, is this true or not? Is my pastor teaching something that really is biblical or is it just comfortable to agree with him because it's too much work and too uncomfortable perhaps to question him or to question anything that you're being taught. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm doing with my videos and my articles in general, the, the thing I'm trying to do is to help people go through the very same process that I went through. Yeah. Which was to say, I, gosh, I don't know that much and I want to learn more. And before you can learn more, you need to even be aware of the fact that you don't know things, that there yeah. are things that you just don't know is the first step. So I, some of my videos for some people would seem too harsh or too confrontational or too edgy, but my, my intention is to grab people's attention. My intention is to grab your attention. 
Yeah, I was <laughs> I was talking to my co-host who's not here unfortunately today. He had a family commitment, but um, I was talking to him in the lead up to this interview and was saying, you know, some people might freak out thinking, oh, you're being too harsh with these sorts of videos. And I said to Chad, Paul was way harsher. He said, if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be cursed. And he repeats it twice, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, so my thought is, I wish I would have come across these videos by a Christian hmm. back when I was in that because it would have disturbed me enough and hmm. to think about it. You know, it would be a stone in my shoe, so to speak. I, I couldn't exactly. just discount it. Now, if it was coming from an atheist or something, I'd be like, oh, we're being persecuted. But if it's coming right. from a believer <laughs> saying, here's here's the scripture, here's here's where you're reading it wrong. You can't use the, the scripture that way. It's out of context then I'd have to say, okay, yeah, maybe I'm on the wrong track here, you know? I'll, I'll give you a, a little background. The stone in the shoe thing is a really good catchphrase to explain the, the overall um, intention. Uh, I got the ideas, a lot of my ideas from Chris Roseboro and his original podcast, Fighting for the Faith. He would do a two-hour podcast every day, five days a week. Wow. And most of his podcast was listening to a very popular sermon from a very popular, you know, megachurch pastor. And he would just play the whole thing and he would stop it and explain why this was wrong. He would read the entire passage that the guy was maybe only quoting a small portion of. Mm -hmm. And then he would even sometimes talk about the Greek meanings so that you could really get the, the gist of what this passage says. And so the ambiguity that I was so comfortable with was no longer comfortable, you know, like, well, you know, some people think it means this, other people think it means that. There's a sort of uh, postmodernism that is a part of pop evangelicalism, where you're just way too willing to say, ah, who knows what it means. As long as we love Jesus, as long as we ask Jesus in our hearts when we were 14 years old at summer yeah. camp, we're all good to go. And, you know, we don't have to go have to go too deep into the exact meanings of things, you know, as long as we're nice to each other. It's just, it's so vague and so surfacy. So he, he did something with that podcast and also with his current YouTube videos. And he does change his philosophy a bit over time. But in general, he knew that he was irritating people. He knew that he was getting on their nerves. And people who were Christians who actually agreed with him would sometimes say, you you got to be more nice to people. You have to say things more gently. He said, I have so many letters from so many people over so many years who said the same thing. And that was this. I hate this guy. He's wrong. I'm going to get out my dusty Bible and prove he's wrong. And I'm going to look at the passage that he was just talking about to find out that he can't be telling me the truth. And they went, oh, my goodness. Everything he said was true. Yeah, And I, I haven't been paying attention to what the Bible actually says for a long time. I've been just blindly trusting the guy that he was so mean against. Mm. Maybe he was so mean against that, that guy for a reason. Oh, I, I'm, you know, so it, it, he was really uh, kind of grabbing people by the lapels and shaking them and saying, look, you're not looking at this. I don't know how to get you to look at this, but maybe if you're mad enough and he was willing to be the guy that they would be mad at. And, you know, he's, He's got people years later saying, thank you. I hated you. Now I love you because yeah. you forced me to look at something. Now I'm trying to, and I've been saying this for a while. I, I do have different videos with different approaches and that's not what I do in every video, not by a long shot, but there is a certain amount of having to put a stone in a person's shoe. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the larger pop evangelical world is the reason why. The larger, you know, the big box evangelical mega church, mega uh, publisher world. I mean, Joel Osteen is the biggest preacher in America. That right there tells us we are in serious trouble. You know, Joyce Meyer is considered a serious theologian. Yeah. It's insane. I'm thinking back to, you know, go back to just the 1970s and 1980s. Who did you listen to? Most likely it was somebody like Charles Wendall or John MacArthur or, you know, maybe uh, Jim Dobson. I don't even agree with everything all those guys said, but they were a million miles away oh, yeah. from Joel Osteen. It wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, another aspect of the thing that is even worse is that the charismatic, the hyper-charismatic word of faith, New Apostolic Reformation world has a ton of people who are 30 years old and younger. And so they don't even know that there's anything other than what they've been learning their whole entire lives. Yeah. They don't have a, a comparison. So somebody who came into that later, like I did, we can contrast it with other sorts of teaching. We yeah. can say, you know, wait a minute, this isn't what I was always taught, but that's not the case for a lot of people. So mm -hmm. again, we have to, we have to confront people. They're like, did you know that Bill Johnson is not the norm? <laughs> you know, Todd yeah. White is not the norm. Mm -hmm. uh, the stuff that you might be hearing from the International House of Prayer or, or from Rick Joyner and Morningstar Ministries or, 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 you know, Lord forbid, somebody like Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland, these, these men are so far onto the fringe theologically, but the fact is they're not on the fringe in terms of their popularity anymore. Yeah, well, well, one of the paths I'd like to take today is talk a little bit about, you know, how these things have morphed. And uh, mm -hmm. only, and I've written this question earlier, but now what comes to my mind is that scripture about teachings spreading like gangrene, because I think, well, there's a lot of things that came up, say, in the Word of Faith movement, that carried on and changed and they went into the prosperity gospel and there are a lot of elements that are within both those movements that they're a lot different it's just a different form of the virus so so to speak and now things like the new apostolic reformation they just take those sort of things for granted like Mm -hmm. uh, don't speak negative because you kind of jinx what God yes. wants to do or, yep. you, you know, you have to maintain your faith. And, you know, and when I say that, it, it's along the lines of you got to believe, keep believing hard for certain things to come to pass or the, the word of faith, prosperity gospel, they, they just snowball and they spread into sort of the fabric of these movements that come after them. And it's like, wow, you don't know where one ends and when the other one starts. There's so, yeah, they, they, there's a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite things to, to study for myself, because I just have, you know, almost, um, almost <laughs> obsessively curious. I want to know, you know, why does this teaching turn into this teaching 20 years later? And, and how are they connected? And there, there is a lot of connections. There, there is a connection between the, um, the seeker-friendly movement, especially when you're talking about uh, Robert Schuller, mm -hmm. because Robert Schuller's ideas have a ton of overlap with the positive thinking movement, which has a ton of overlap with the Word of Faith movement. There's very little difference between any of them. But from Robert Schuller, you get Bill Hybels and the Willow Creek model, and you, you definitely get Rick Warren and the purpose-driven church model. So, so the seeker-friendly yeah. model has a lot of overlap with the, the Robert Schuller positive thinking. Don't say anything bad about people. Just, you know, make Christianity 
kind of a magic wand so that people can have a better life. There's a lot of overlap. And then when you combine that seeker-friendly, big-box, megachurch model with charismatic teaching, you now have even more overlap. So, for instance, um, there are people who have a connection to Calvary Chapel, which is not Word of Faith, but it is, you know, very conservatively charismatic, but that quickly morphed into the Vineyard Movement, which is where we wound up getting the International House of Prayer movement and also where we got the Toronto Blessing movement. It all came out of the vineyard. So, you know, Calvary Chapel as a whole, especially when they still had Chuck Smith, was trying to put the clamps down on error. But it's really hard because there is the, I would say, the spirit of compromise or the spirit of um, pragmatism in so many churches. Yeah. There's an underlying theme of, look, we got to get people to make decisions for Jesus. We got to get people saved. Yeah. And so if we have to be pragmatic in, you know, a number of different ways, you know, a a charismatic might do it in a way that's different than a non-charismatic, but still the the spirit of pragmatism is part of that virus. And and it's not just that, but I think there's overlap between that. For instance, uh, here's a really strong overlap. If you tell people, in order for me to correctly really explain the gospel to somebody, I must tell them about their sin, and I must tell them that they are guilty before God because God punishes sinners, because he's holy, and his holiness demands punishment for sin. And that means that you can't take somebody who isn't a Christian and expect them to be a Christian without understanding that they are guilty before God, and that they are actually on their way to a literal hell. They are in danger for all eternity. If you don't understand that, there's absolutely no way for the gospel to be meaningful or even coherent. Yeah. Why does Jesus die on the cross in order for us to have a better life on earth, to have you know right. better behaved children or to, to have a more successful career? It doesn't make any sense. And yet, I think there are tons of pastors to this day who will say, yeah, you know, sure, we do believe in hell, and sure, we do believe that God is holy and that we're sinners and all that stuff, but let's just wait and bring that up later. Yeah, <laughs> so, right, yeah. And, and then on top of that, here's a, here's a huge point of overlap. Whether you're charismatic, word of faith or not, your emphasis on positivity is all the same, because you're saying to people, hey, you know, God loves you. That's the real focus. God loves you. You, you, you feel bad about yourself. You don't have a, a sense of worth. You don't have a sense of purpose. Well, that's too bad. That's, that's bad for you. Uh, we want to help you feel better about your life and have more purpose in your life. Now, are those things bad? I, I, they're, they're great. It, we want people to have purpose in their life. But that is not the starting point. Yeah. If that's the starting point, the gospel is always going to be somewhere off in the distance, and it probably won't ever be really explained fully. Yeah. And so uh, you could be a positive thinking sort of a pragmatist who's not a charismatic, or you could be a word of faith, positive thinking pragmatist, and it's all the same. The gospel is, is set aside and it's something that you don't emphasize or you don't even bring up until some point down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned there the pragmatic aspects of like, hey, let's, let's do what works. And, uh, not offend anyone or almost removing the the offense from the gospel. I I remember in certain churches I was at, working at, the pastor would, in the meetings we would have uh, for leadership, 
here, listen to these sales tapes. Here's a, a, a series of sales tapes. Listen to these be, and then apply it to church. Uh, here's a management tapes yeah. and, and leadership books. Apply it to church. Like what it looks like on the ground, it, there was pretty much no difference. So why not take tips from these tapes? I mean, it it just, I mean, why didn't I just run out of the church at that moment? But this is, yeah, and th th that question you just asked is one of the questions that I think about a lot. Why? Because I was the same way. There were things that I, in the back of my mind, there was a little voice saying, why are you falling for this, Kozar? Why, why are you, you should be questioning this. You know you should be questioning this, but you're not questioning this. Why? And I think the real answer is because I like to have my way. I want things. I want to be successful. I want God to do stuff for me. I'm intrinsically selfish. And I, ha I have a sin nature. That's the real answer. And if you're not being confronted with that on an ongoing basis, then the pragmatism and the positive thinking will quickly turn into God is your genie in a bottle, and church is the place where you learn how to rub it the right way so you can get God to do what you want him to do. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating for, for effect, but that's, in essence, the, the direction that everything winds up going. Mm-hmm. Now, after you've done, you've probably listened to your fair share of crazy teaching. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, looking at these sorts of things, I wonder if you could distill down maybe, if someone said, Steve, what's the fundamental issue that's problematic mm. behind these movements? How would you try to distill that down? I mean, there's probably a lot of strands there. Yeah, the one that I, that's a really good question because it is good to categorize things. You know, I think for, for the sake of people who are trying to figure stuff out, I think it's helpful to say, watch for these maybe, you know, six different categories of error. And one would be what I just said. It would be pragmatism. Mm. Do, you, do you find that your pastor or your church in general is always saying, we got to do what gets people in the door? If that's the emphasis, do you see a problem with that? Because this is not the way the historic Christian church has ever thought about things. It's never said, hey, you know, I mean, can you imagine the Apostle Paul or the original, any of the original apostles or church leaders saying, what, what can we do to get people in the door? I mean, yeah. obviously we, we're loving, we're nice to people, we're not jerks. I mean, you know, we're not yelling at people and telling them they're all going to hell. That's not going to get them in the door per se. But the idea that, you know, hey, we don't have enough men coming to church. Let's get a, let's get a football themed sermon series or let's have the pastor ride a motorcycle onto the stage. You know, that's just, yeah. I think one of the questions I'm trying to get people to ask to themselves is, why do you allow yourself to be treated like you're an idiot? Why do you allow your pastor to treat you like you don't have the ability to think for yourself, that you have no brain? Do you ever consider the fact that you're actually capable of thinking more deeply about things than you have been so far? Because I think most people are. I am not a great intellect. I am not, I, I'm a college dropout and I'm, I'm a self-learner. And so I think, I, I really think there's something about American culture in general and the Christian culture that's, it's really no different that says, just go with the flow, listen to the experts and don't think too much because it's hard and, it, and you're probably not smart enough anyway. I really think that people are capable of understanding things more deeply if they just take their time and they turn off the TV and they stop, you know, playing games so much and just being, you know, so surfacey all the time. So this, this category would be, 
you know, the pragmatism thing, why is your church so desperate to get people in the door? It's almost like God is is uh, desperate too, if you think about it. why Is that the kind of God that you really believe created the entire universe? This God who can't figure out how to get people saved, he can't figure out how to get people in the door, and he's going, oh no, the church doesn't have any new people. What are we going to do? We got to do something quick. Let's think of a stunt. Let's think of a gimmick. You know, I want people to see how ridiculous that is. That'd be one category. And then this idea that is your pastor insulting you? Is he expecting you to just go along with whatever thing he's saying and and not really pushing you uh, in a way that makes you stronger as a Christian? Stronger in the sense that you're actually learning. You're you're capable of understanding the Bible more with a, with a good pastor or or a good elder, somebody who actually knows the Bible. They should be there teaching you. You should be learning more. And if you feel like, you know, and this is actually connected to the previous point, because a lot of people have been told, well, you just want to get fed so much that you're not actually making the church the sort of place where new people are welcome, because it's too hard for them to enter into a church where people are always studying the Bible. So what you need to do is just, you know, go home and you can study on your own if you want, but we're not going to help you with that. Your job is to just sit there and to smile and shake hands with the new people while we say goofy things that are shallow and barely even Christian, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that's a whole, and, and I, I, I love it because I do get uh, comments and emails and messages from people on a regular basis who say, thank you so much. I used to go to a church like that and I felt like there was something wrong with me because I thought it was dumb. I thought it was wrong. I was frustrated because I wasn't learning anything. And I felt like something wasn't right, but I was, I was in the minority. You know, everybody was smiling and shaking hands of the new people yeah. as the pastor rode a motorcycle on a stage. And I'm sitting there going, I thought this was church, you know? So yeah. I kind of poke fun at things because I want people to realize that, yeah, it is ridiculous and it's okay to poke fun of it. And, and, and the crazy thing is that when people see these big, rich churches doing silly things, you know, this, say you're a, you're a young pastor coming up and you're like, well, they're successful. I guess mm -hmm. I need to do that too. And, and it's almost like uh, the hot selling books become authoritative because they're popular or the, right. Oh, you're exactly. rich. You must be doing something right. And almost, it's, amazing, it's, it's it? almost the opposite. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. It is almost the opposite. There are exceptions to everything, but in general, do you want to find a really good church with a really good pastor? It's probably going to be a small one. It probably is not going to be the mega church that has the big praise band and the slideshows and the multimedia and the lights and the smoke machine. I think one of the one of the things I find myself telling people a lot is that, okay, uh, you've come to me, you found our channel, you realize there's some things wrong. Now you have to peel back a whole bunch of layers. You're not going to get to the bottom of this by watching 10, 10 minutes of you know, videos or, or, or even 10 videos or even, uh, uh, you know, the next three months, if you just read more things and it's going to take years for most people, they have been mistaught so many layers of, you know, maybe at best a half truth, like, like the idea that you should get people to come to church. We should want to evangelize people. Nobody's in a, a disagreement with that. But we shouldn't want to compromise what the church is. We shouldn't compromise what the gospel is in order to get people in the door. There's a lot of layers to these things, and it takes time for people. And I, I encourage people a lot of times, I'm saying, don't feel like you got to learn everything, you know, yeah. in the next two weeks. Give yeah. yourself time. I think another, another really big problem that 
going back to your previous question, people have been guilted into feeling like I'm I'm responsible for my church to succeed. And and there is truth that we should be committed to our churches. Absolutely. You should want to serve your church. You should want to support your pastor. But if you're finding that your pastor isn't really biblically sound, and he is theologically out in left field, or he's at least not really well instructed, maybe he's got good intentions, but he just doesn't know what he's doing, and he's just following the other megachurch pastors, you have no obligation to stay there because you know you're you're part of the worship team, or you you run sound, or or you are a, right. a person who you know works the coffee bar. You're not obligated to any of that. That is not the norm of Christianity. That you know your first role is to support this mega church, which is in, it's in deep error. So I, a lot of times I am telling people, just leave, just leave. Don't go back. You're not out. I mean, you could tell them, look, I'm I'm really struggling with the theology of this church. It's nothing personal, but I, I have found a lot of things that are in error here and I, I just cannot keep going here. And yeah. I don't feel like it's you're, you know, because I'm I'm convinced that in many cases, people are going to churches for a long period of time, even though there's things that are uncomfortable about it. Something something seems off here, but they keep going because the pastor is a manipulator. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you really want to serve God, well, you know, you better do X, Y, and Z. And so yeah. that it it takes a long time for people to get away from those manipulative yeah. ideas. There's there's quite a bit of overlap, maybe, with the likes of false teaching going r- running right in tandem with churches that abuse or abusive leadership structures, and yes. maybe they sort of enable each other in huge ways. Another strand that pops out for me is like the love of money. We're talking about being popular and rich and prosperous. It would seem to me that would be a red flag. And I, yes. I think you probably tackle so much of that uh, with your videos, you know, where. <laughs> it's amazing. One of the things I do with the Messed Up Church website is I have a handful of articles that I just keep referring to and reposting because they're not timely. It's not about a current event. One of them is called the Biblical Guide to the Prosperity Gospel. And it, it's tongue-in-cheek, because what it really is, it's all the verses that warn against the desire for earthly wealth and the uh-huh. all the verses that these guys completely ignore. They pretend like they aren't there. And so, yeah, that would be a huge red flag. If your pastor is just assuming that the purpose of Christianity, or at least a part of what God wants for you, is to have a lot of money and to be successful without any conditions at all, it's just an assumption, that's a huge red flag. In fact, one of the hit the bar, hit the bar videos that we're hoping to do soon. It's a, it's a video from a megachurch pastor who's actually modeling himself after another megachurch pastor who we've done reviews of, only he's not as good as the other guy, but you can hear even in his inflections and his catchphrases, he's actually imitating his other guy, which is, oh, which is really pathetic. But he's doing a whole sermon about how important it is to tithe 10% because then you'll be promised that God's going to bless you and you'll make more money and you'll be more successful. But then he he says, but this isn't about money. It's about your heart. I'm like, well, no, you you are talking about uh, money. Yeah. But he's saying two things at the same time. So he's mm-hmm. there's a lot of this um, cognitive dissonance, you know, where people are, they're saying to themselves, I know I'm hearing this thing over here, and then I'm hearing the complete opposite. It's the two things shouldn't be going together, but I keep hearing them side by side as if they could both be true. Like, you yeah. know, the pastor's saying, you know, it's not about the money, but He's telling you how God wants you to be really, really successful. 
There's something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. We have to sometimes point out really obvious things for people because they've really been in a cult-like environment. And you're right about the abuse. There is almost always abuse combined with those cult-like tendencies. The pastors who are running these churches are, if you could, you know, psychoanalyze them, if they would ever allow themselves to to sit down with an expert, they would be proven to be at least somewhere on the scale of being a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And and you can, if you evaluate their sermons, which is one of the things that I do with Hit the Bar is we, when people, let me back up, when people are listening to a sermon, especially if they're sitting in the room with the pastor, they only hear it one time. And they usually go pretty quick and they tell lots of stories and they manipulate everything to their favor. And one of the ways that I started to see this, and I, and I, and I didn't have pastors who were really manipulative to a large extent or anything, but I was on the worship team. And I would sometimes listen to both sermons because I was there. I had to sit around and wait for the end of the service anyway. So I thought, I'll listen to it again. And it really does change things when you listen to the same sermon the second time. You can kind of see, oh, I see how he went from this idea and he jumped right over to that idea. But they don't actually follow if you think about it. But you don't have time when you only hear it one time. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I really enjoy doing on on the YouTube channel is taking an actual pastor from a guy who seems authoritative and showing them, slowing it down, slowing the process down and helping people to yeah. think for themselves more. You know, I was thinking there when you were talking how, you know, we used to tell people just get out. I look back and when I was about 25 to 30, I worked in the church and it was, it was uh, basically what you don't want to be in. I think, you know, if I would have just stayed home on Sunday and got an audio Bible and just listened to it for the four or five hours that I was at that church, mm-hmm. that would have been, yes. I, I would have, <laughs> I would have like understood grace and it would have understood that I'm justified. And, you know, uh, it would have been so much better than, you know, certain mentalities that can grow out of those environments where it's about performance and mm-hmm. there is no grace. Um, it, it's, it's about believing harder and uh, performing yeah. more and, um, you know, seeking this blessing. One thing that I want to see how, how much you notice it. But don't you think it's always about the next move of God and God's going to do this. God's going to do that. There, revival's on the way. It's always like there's this one thing, just like a carrot, always dangling in front of you. So you keep going. Yes. Sometimes you're going to these churches and it's like you're just going for the next uh, rush, the next, like, dopamine hit, you know? Mm -hmm. It is. You're not exaggerating. That's exactly what it is. And when when a pastor gets into that pattern, whether he's aware of it and he's doing it intentionally, or if he's just doing what works, he knows that he has to work people up in whatever fashion that takes. So he's guilty because he's using those patterns of getting people excited and worked up about something that's coming. And the people themselves are guilty because they've said it without saying it. They're they're basically admitting, yeah, you know, the Christian life isn't exciting unless there's something better around the corner that leads me to want to keep participating. In other words, the normal Christian life, going to church, the word and sacraments, just the traditional things that Christians have always done. Those things are not enough. And you need to admit that. If that's where you've been, that's where I was. I needed to be confronted with that. You know, in my own life, I had to say, I have not really devoted myself to God's word. That's why I was willing to follow some teachings that weren't very good. And I was willing to listen to pastors who 
I shouldn't say I, I shouldn't have listened to them. I should have been able to figure out what was wrong sooner. I should have been able to have some sort of a way to gauge things, but I didn't have any of that. And they, you know, if the church is growing, if the church is even maintaining, that's enough for most people to go, hey, there's nothing wrong here. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not that yeah. bad. It's not like that other church that mm-hmm. had to close. You know, they want yeah. the other side of town, that church is, well, the reason that place closed is probably because a new church started that took all the people because everybody's looking for the new thing. Mm-hmm. And that, that sense of, I want the new thing is not only a bad Christian problem, but I think it, it has been inculcated in American culture. You know, what's the, what's the next new car? What's the next new TV show? What's the next new electronics? What's the next new computer, the new phone? I mean, it's all over the place. And so I, I say as Christians, and I go to a confessional Lutheran church here in Wisconsin, and it's, it's not super high church, although I wouldn't mind that at all. I, I actually want to go to a church now that says, we're doing what we did 100 years ago, and 100 years from now, we're going to be doing the same thing. We might make a little bit of an adjustment here or there, but we think we are doing these things because it's they're not biblical. Broken. It's not broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are, we, we, we created these, there's parameters and I like the liturgical parameters that our church has because the, the Bible is just all over the place. There's almost nothing but the Bible in a, in a church service. And the pastor himself is kept inside of those parameters by the nature of a liturgical service. And we use the church calendars, which means he can only preach on the passages that are built into that, into that uh, lectionary. So he can't go on his soapbox and talk about what he wants to talk about to manipulate the, the congregation to do the thing that he wants them to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to you know, really think through all these things because what we're normally told is what you said in the beginning, you know, I want to go to a church where the pastor is really exciting. That makes sense if you don't think about it. Of course, who who wouldn't want to go to a church where the pastor's exciting? But instead, we should be saying, you know, maybe he's maybe he's a good speaker. That's fine. But what if he's only just an okay speaker? But what he says is incredibly true and incredibly powerful because it's it's gospel centric, and if it's telling us about Christ being crucified for our sins and reminding reminding us of the law and the gospel mm. on a regular basis. What if we were yeah. hearing those things and he's not a great speaker? What mm-hmm. what then? Mm-hmm. Isn't that okay? Shouldn't that be okay? There's a real tricky sort of thing about being in um a church with crazy teachings and usually along with the crazy teachings is the idea that if you go anywhere else it's a dead church. Mm. Uh, yes. Oh, oh he goes to a I, I can hear someone listening to you say, oh, oh, that explains it. He's Lutheran. He he's <laughs> not on fire for God. He doesn't right. have the move of the Spirit in his life, and so he's in a dead, dried-up church. And now this is all his perspective. And now I, I know the right response to that, but I mean, there's this tricky bit within certain movements where it, it's like a defense mechanism. No, yes. no, don't listen. To, don't listen to anybody who criticizes it because they are this, they are that. Mm-hmm. And but it goes back to the scripture. Is this biblical? You know, what mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? I have a whole article that I, I I'm in the process of rewriting because I want to streamline it a bit. But it's up on my um, Mess Up Church website, and I'm going to make not only I'm going to rewrite the article to try to streamline it, but I'm going to make a series of videos, and it's on that very thing that you're talking about. There are these ideas that are implanted. And uh, you could call them thought-stopping devices. Yeah. You know, just the one you just said is a thought-stopping device. Oh, that's a dead church. 
Yes. How do you know it's a dead church? Well, actually, you don't. We're just telling you it is mm-hmm. so that you don't even think about going there. You don't even think about what might actually be taking place. You know, it's a thought-stopping device. Another one would be, we don't want to put God in a box. Yeah. There's no perfect church, and there, yeah. but God's moving. <laughs> I think it's almost, uh, it's almost necessary for people to be untrained from those thought-stopping devices first, because, I mean, you can do both. You can teach the Bible while you're explaining how mm-hmm. these thought-stopping devices, which aren't biblical, are, are actually protecting you or preventing you from actually seeing what the Bible does say. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, they're like putting on a pair of tinted glasses. And even when you do read the Bible, like like if you are always being told that, well, we have to be positive. We got to tell people that God loves them. We can't tell them that God is angry at their sin. You know, and there is a way to say that it's true, that that we could we could say that God isn't a- angry at our sin because of what Christ has done. When he sees our sin, he sees us through the lens of Christ. But that's usually not what they're saying. What they're actually saying is, hey, you're you're not that bad. You're a, you're a good guy. You should feel good about yourself. Well, really, what about when you're sinful? Why should you feel good about yourself when you're sinful? Nobody brings that up, you know? So that positive thing is one of those thought-stopping devices. Well, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he's just one of those negative guys that's always talking about sin. He's always... Well, you know what? That might be true, but it might be not true. It might be that we are talking about sin and the gospel. We might be talking about sin just enough for you to be kept on track because you do have a sin nature. Mm-hmm. So there, there needs to be clarity brought to these issues instead of, and I, if you listen to my show very much, you'll hear me use the term false dichotomy because it's one of the strongest ways that these guys make their arguments. If you say anything that they disagree with, they pigeonhole you as being this extreme thing way over on one side of the equation where they are the other end of the equation which ignores the fact that there's 10 other options. Mm-hmm. This is another thing. If you hear your pastor always talking about, oh, yeah, well, he's a, for instance, in the charismatic world, well, he's probably just a cessationist who hates the Holy Spirit. He mm-hmm. hates the gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. He hates anything is usually a term that's a thought-stopping device. Because as soon as you start throwing the word hate around, it usually means you don't have a really strong argument. So you're you're accusing the other person of being hateful when that's yeah. that's just, it's a, it's a very weak form of argumentation. And it usually is given from somebody who was taught that by the person that they listened to. So, yeah, yeah that, that that's a big category of helping people to understand the way they've been manipulated yeah. and the way they've been given these underlying ideas that are actually preventing them from seeing the deception that's right in front of them. Yeah. There's a few different categories I think people can get caught up in. The Word of Faith movement, the prosperity gospel, and hyper-charismania uh, or NAR type things. I think those are the three sort of main pillars of where a lot of uh, problematic teaching comes from. It doesn't, and I would just, of course, listener, <laughs> there are Christians in all these churches. Not everyone who goes here is on their way to hell or something. There's mixtures, you know, there some some are more problematic than others. Not everything's just terrible, but the further we get from the gospel being at the center is, mm-hmm. is, is worse. So we're trying to get dead on in the bullseye and major on the majors and get rid as mu- of, of much problematic teaching as possible. But what I wanted to say is that, Steve, it's like when you're in that sort of environment, and this is a paradigm. This is a way of thinking about what Christianity is. It's not easy to leave. 
It's never mm -hmm. easy to change our beliefs. And when right. we're challenged, it's easy to say, oh, well, you're mean, so I don't have to listen to you. Or you're mm -hmm. this, you believe that, you don't ex uh, agree with me on this other thing. So I can maybe not saying this out loud, but in our minds, we're going to discount that person. The same way where anyone who left the churches I went to before, it's funny how they were like the great heroes when they were in the church. And as soon as they would leave the church, yep. oh, there's something wrong with them. Oh, right. yeah, don't talk don't. about them. They're, <laughs> you know, and it's like uh, they're now ostracized. Oh, don't go talking to them anymore because yeah. they've left. They're on the outside. And so it's hard to leave certain environments if it's an abusive church or it's mm -hmm. a church that is within a certain paradigm. As soon as you, you know, I'm going to question the word of faith movement. I, I don't really know if I agree with this prosperity stuff. Shun, you know, you're shunned. So it's not easy to leave that. And then, of course, you kind of got to re go back and re-question everything, run everything through the filter of scripture again. So that's that's a tough that's a tough thing to do. It really is. And what you're saying is absolutely true. And the biggest problem, I think, or one of the biggest problems is that people are not willing to take those steps because it's too uncomfortable. And I really hate to say that because I, I have felt such freedom in saying, I'm just going to try to figure this stuff out and read the Bible and try to go to a biblical church and try to have more biblical theology. And I don't, I don't care where the chips fall. You know, if that means I have to go to a different church, you know, I can still be nice to the people at that church. I'm not saying I hate them. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they're, you know, they're not sincere or they're not even legitimate Christians. I'm just saying, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't buy into that theological system anymore because I just see too many flaws. I see too many yeah. places where you're contradicting the Bible. And that's, that's me. That's what I see. If you don't see it, I, you know, whatever. I'm not here to tell you what to do because that's, I think, how people take it. Yeah. And it is confrontational. Even if you'd say it the nicest possible way, it's threatening to people. And I think it's really important for anybody to say to themselves, okay, I'm going to consider maybe that guy who left and is, is kind of forcing me to rethink things. Maybe he's right or maybe he's wrong. What harm would come from me checking into this further? Mm -hmm. What harm could possibly come from me opening up my Bible and really comparing laboriously over a period of months, maybe even <laughs> in the next two years, yeah. what harm could come? If what I believe is true, I'll just find out that it's true. And if yeah. what I believe is not true, well, then I'll have to make a decision about what to do next, but at least I'll know. But yeah. this is the thing. Christians, you say you're Bible-believing Christians. What's the point of being a Bible-believing Christian if you're going to ignore what the Bible teaches? When you're talking there, I'm reminded of one of those big paradigm shifts when I said to myself, I'm going to look into this for myself. One of the first things was tithes and offerings, because the sort of church I came out of was like, you're under a literal curse if you don't give this 10 yeah. percent. And and so it was like, you better make sure you write that check every week. Otherwise, you know, every week it was a sermon on on top of the regular preaching. It was a sermon for the offering. And sometimes it would go half hour, you know. For me to finally study it for myself and realize, yeah, I, I, I can give, I should give. God wants a cheerful heart, but I'm not under a literal curse right. uh, for stealing from God. My cars aren't going to break down if I don't give this certain set amount. It was like, whoa, this is scary, but liberating. And guess what? I'm free. I'm free to give, you know, and right. uh, that was a paradigm shift. 
So when you're when you're talking about, you know, what do you say to someone in there? I, I thought to myself, how many times I've said to my wife, boy, I wish I could go back and ask questions, just question. You know, if I had if I was like looking back at my old past self and I could sit, whisper anything into my ear and mm -hmm. I would I would believe me future self, it would be it's OK to question. You should question and compare everything you hear to scripture. I wouldn't tell myself to run and leave. I'd say, start asking questions. Why this? Why that? Yeah. Um, can you explain why that scripture means that? You know, that's the sort of advice I'd give myself because then it I could at least drive a wedge in there and maybe introduce some critical thinking. And then, you know, I can imagine getting quite a bit of kickback and that would be my signal to leave when, when I become yes. evil for questioning. But, you but know, that's a really good point. If you go to your pastor and you say, I got some issues with the way we interpret a couple of passages here. And I'm, I'm trying to just figure out where you really stand. And can you just give me your, th your thoughts on this? Cause here's what I see. And if you explain what you're seeing and he says, Hey, Hey, you know what? I really appreciate that. You're looking into this. This is great. Let's, let's spend some time and let's really, let's dig into the, the word and, and there's no threatening. There's no manipulation. There's just honest dialogue. That's, that's great. What I have heard from so many people in, in the really hyper charismatic type of churches is the pastor is threatened. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that with you. How dare you question me? How dare you come to me wanting to see what the Bible says? And you think you've got a new interpretation. You know, I mean, they really get offended. Yeah. That's your signal that this is not a man of God. Yeah. And then another signal would be along the same line. If you feel already like you can't, and if you do, you're going to get your head bit off. Yeah. If you just have that sense, because, you know, you, what will pass with people and what, what won't by the time you've known them long enough. If you've got that sense like, no, 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 you don't dare question. That's a good signal right there. Yes. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned how you get different responses from people. And I imagine it's all over the board. Give me a taste of some of the negative responses and maybe a taste of some of the positive responses to the videos and, and uh, maybe how they can encourage the listeners. The negative responses tend to be pretty much the same. Every once in a while, I'll get a really thoughtful, really nice person who disagrees, but it's very rare. Most of the time, it's an ad hominem attack. You're, you're a jerk. You're mean. How, who do you think you are? You think you're better than everybody else. Just because you think you, you've got perfect theology doesn't mean that everyone else is wrong. I mean, all these, it's an ad hominem attack is just when you, you focus your, your attack on the character of the person making the argument, but you don't actually address the argument itself. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, I'm pretty open about in our videos, I'm a jerk. I'm not up here saying, listen to me because I'm so holy. I'm saying I'm, I'm a sinful person. I'm just trying to explain what the Bible teaches. And so you can call me names all day. That doesn't change the fact that the Bible says what the Bible says. So ad hominem attacks are, are very prominent, or they just repeat the catchphrases like we were talking about earlier, like, how dare you put God in a box, or you hate the Holy Spirit, or you, and another really common one is, you have never experienced the Holy Spirit the way I have. That's why you're so negative. And I'm like, yeah, well, okay, uh, explain the 16 years we went to a giant charismatic church. If I don't know anything about this, because yeah. I haven't experienced it for myself, <laughs> quote unquote. So I think, um, you know, people are 
really digging into their personal experiences when they're trying to defend their beliefs. They're not digging into scripture as much as they think they are. On the positive side, uh, we do get a lot more positive comments than negative. So that really encourages us. And, and it's almost always something about, you know, thank you. We were so confused. You know, I didn't understand. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't understand so mm -hmm. much. As, you know, I didn't understand how I was being manipulated. I didn't understand how I was constantly being told a version of the gospel that wasn't the gospel at all, or, or I was given a version of the Bible that was never really explaining things the way that the Bible actually <laughs> explains things, you know? So I love that. And I, I've always liked teaching to an extent, but I never was, I, I mean, I would teach painting workshops and I'll probably still do that in the future, but I, I love doing this stuff because again, I, I figured this out for myself just because I wanted to learn for myself and for my family. And so it's just an honor to be able to have a channel that people are coming to and they trust me enough to listen to what I have to say. And, you know, we can entertain enough to, you know, people keep coming back because they know it's going to mm -hmm. be a little, little bit different from video to video. And, you know, I throw in a little bit of humor to kind of keep people interested enough. But I think if people are honest, they would say, yeah, there is some humor and there's a little bit of entertaining, but it's really about teaching. Mm -hmm. But one of the negative comments is, why do you, why do you have to use the jokes and the humor? Why do you have to use the sarcasm or what? Like, you know, um, that's in the Bible. I don't know if you <laughs> notice this or not, but Jesus was really harsh sometimes, you know, and there is sarcasm or there is, uh, you know, uh, this, when, when somebody's a really bad false teacher and they are putting people under bondage in the name of God, I, I don't, I'm not required to treat them like a fellow Christian brother in love. I'm not required to do that. Now, I'm not addressing that person anyway, because he's not watching my video. Benny Hinn's not coming onto my channel. It's the people who follow Benny Hinn who I'm trying to grab their attention and to try to talk to them. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really interesting. I do tend to psycho kind of analyze what's going on with all the comments because, you know, I get them all day long. I get comment after comment after comment. And I do have to turn that off after a while because I could, I could spend the whole day responding or I can just go ahead and make another video. But when I make another video, I'm actually thinking about all the comments because yeah. it kind of helps me gauge where, where people are at. Yeah. You get good uh, real-time feedback. Exactly, yeah. Which is another thing that it drives me nuts, though, because people <laughs> will make a comment on a video. I, I have to just say, you know, they're not thinking. They're just typing because, you know, it's there. The comments are there. <laughs> it's YouTube. <laughs> it's YouTube. But they, they think that I'm just, I, make, I, I just spent three days making a video. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life just waiting for people to make comments so I can directly answer them person to person. Oh, yeah. You know, they want to ask these really deep, long questions. And I already have a website full of information, but it brings up the issue. Of, I wish people were more willing to research on their own. I wish they were more willing to dig into the stuff that's already there. I wish they would even just check my YouTube channel first to see if there's a video there that addresses the question that they're typing in. But, you know, I keep bringing that up. And I think people are starting to do that a little bit more as time mm -hmm. goes by. So I have to be patient. I am not a real patient person. Like I said, I can be a jerk at times. So I, I'm, I'm really, I'm working on that with God's help. Well, Steve, it's been a great pleasure, a real blast talking to you. I feel like we could explore a lot of different realms. Uh, yeah, but, I, uh, I didn't know that you had the background that you did. That makes it, I think you're able to articulate things because you were there. You went through a lot of the same things, it sounds like, mm. that we did. And that's, a, yeah. that's the case with most of us. You know, like the American Gospel Project, Brandon Kimber, the guy who started the whole thing, his family was part of the Toronto blessing. Mm -hmm. So he has a, he, he grew up in that movement. 
And, yeah. and so he's not saying, I hate these people and I want to, you know, yell at them and tell them they're all going to hell. What he wants to do is explore what, what is this teaching really all about? And is it really biblical? And what are some of the other options that are out there? Is there a, is there a more biblical way to, to address these issues? And mm-hmm. so he's trying to get both sides of the equation. It's been a real pleasure working with him. And I hope as time goes by that there are more of us who came out of that environment who can yeah. speak intelligently and we can speak in love, but also, you know, when we need to, we can speak forcefully about it because mm-hmm. it's, there is a point where we do have to draw the line and say, I'm sorry, but this just isn't true. There's a lot yeah. of things we can agree to disagree about, but there are certain things that just are not true and we have to draw the line there. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's, that's what we have to all do as Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian. We believe that there is something that there, there is universal truth. Yeah. So there is a point where we got to draw the line. Yeah. Well, we'll draw the line at that uh, yeah. for today's <laughs> interview. But uh, thanks so much for joining me, Steve. Love to have you on maybe in the future and talk about, you know, one particular topic or something like that. But uh, I want to point people to your YouTube channel, The Messed Up Church, and uh, we'll include a link in the show notes, of course. And then check out Steve's amazing hyper-realistic watercolor and art it's a it's phenomenal over at stephencozar.com Stephen with a v and kozar is k-o-z-a-r again in the show notes but if you've enjoyed this episode please leave us some feedback or shoot us an email at podcast at apologetics315.com thanks again steve it's been a great pleasure oh it's been really fun brian thanks Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to address or just a message for us, feedback, good or bad, you can either email us at podcast at apologetics315.com or leave a voice message for us using SpeakPipe. Just go to speakpipe.com slash apologetics315 to leave us a message. And remember, if you include a Ghostbusters quote in your question, we guarantee that we'll read it on the podcast. We also ensure up to 50% better quality answers. Also, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a review in iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice, and please share this episode with a friend if you found it useful. Remember, you can find lots of apologetics resources at apologetics315.com, along with show notes for today's episode. Find Chad's apologetics stuff over at Truthbomb Apologetics. That's truthbomb.blogspot.com. This has been Brian Auten and Chad Gross for the Apologetics 315 podcast, and thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.